Christian as against a Buddhist or Why would they do that? Well, 
In Philippians 1, 6, he says, For I am confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it into the day of Christ. You see, what God begins, he's got to finish. Because it's real. It says, content, it is reality to their faith. Also, also shares his concern. For instance, in Galatians 6, there are dangers that can occur if the content and the walk within the body is disturbed by what is false. And there's a lot of that goes on. I mean, there's a healthy body, and all of a sudden, ideas, concepts, doctrines that are false begin to make their way into the church. And he speaks to this in, in verses 6 through 9, Galatians. I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by his grace for a different gospel. He said, I don't understand, guys, why it is, I'm a little disturbed about it, because some people are moving away to a different gospel in TV, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be a curse. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what he has received, let him be a curse. You see, there are some people that would move in and disturb things. Well, one of the reasons that there's reasons why people become unsettled and disturbed, and it has to do with uh, with what they believe and, and how firmly they understand it. I mean, how does it happen when the body gets disturbed? It happens when there's a lack of understanding of the truth. When when you really don't know the content of what you believe, and then the enemy can come in, distort the truth with a lie. Now, the, the, the enemy is a liar. Okay? The father of lies. Now, any good liar always makes it close to the truth. And you see this in the Scripture from the beginning, even at the, at the garden when he, when he tempted Jesus, all along the liar, in fact, if you look at counterfeits, what do they do? You try to get close to the real, but it's fake, it's false. And if that happens, there are consequences. Look, I, uh, I mentioned on the outline, uh, there's a, sometimes there's a loss and distortion of truth that can happen. How does that happen? How does it, uh, how does it happen? Well, I, I think of a couple of possibilities that it begins to happen. One is, I'm just calling it pilot. What I mean by that is, it's what it says. The truth that needs to be proclaimed, and it isn't. For instance, in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. See, be thankful that you, you are here in a body where the truth is proclaimed. Because there's a lot of places where that's not happening. In Galatians 3, 2, again, Galatians is a, give you an idea, Galatians is sort of a mini-Romans, but he had concern for them because people were coming in and disturbing the body. Anyway, he says that this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, somebody told me. And that's how we do it, isn't it? Somebody told you, somebody instructed you concerning the Word of God, the Word of faith, and, and it became faith in you, and you believed. You believed something. You just didn't, well, just believe. No, it's not just believe. It's not sincerity. It is content to it. And what happens oftentimes, unfortunately, is that this content has been distorted when there is silence. Because you see, when there is silence, the world is still making noise. The devil does not sleep. And we live in an information age. And there's a lot of information out there. And not all of it's good. In fact, a lot of it isn't. And so it is the duty of those who proclaim to do it, to instruct. And so, unfortunately, today we have a silence in pulpits concerning the scripture. It's, um, it's, uh, I can't tell you, you've heard Michael speak about this. It's uncanny how many times we've had people come to Evergreen and say, Man, I really like it that your pastor preaches from the Bible. And we look at each other and say, Well, what else is everybody doing? And come to find out that's not happening everywhere. I mean, I, I, I was, my, my wife and I were, we met in the church in Houston, and it saddens us because now there's, there's things going on in churches there 
where that's not happening. You know, they may be talking about books or ideas or whatever, but the, this isn't being dealt with and, and carefully laid out and presented. It's the silence. And when there's silence and, and the word got in delivered, then distortion can happen. Disturbance is in body can happen. Okay? But then I also mentioned something else, and that is haphazard in unintentionality. And what do I mean by this? Well, let me illustrate it with a, a personal story. When I was, uh, I grew up, I, mean, I got saved early in my life, and I went, we went to church all the time. We did. We started going to church, and, and so I grew up in church. I mean, I, was, and I got involved in all kinds of ways, and I saved, and I was growing in the faith. But uh, I went to, when I started going to college, I said, well, I'll take a, there was a portion that was on uh, the survey of the Bible. Oh, okay, I'll take that. A Bible class in college. What a deal. So I started taking it, and I was shocked at my ignorance. I've been in church all this time. I knew all of the stories, but I've never, no one ever pointed it out. Maybe I didn't even ask the question, how do these work together? I I remember another time when my dad, my father came to the Lord late in his life, and he loved to read. And he loved cowboy books, you know, Lewis Lamore and so on. And uh, one day we were uh, we were together, and, and uh, he said, Son, uh, you ever read the Bible? And, oh, of course you have. <laughs> he said, uh, I've been reading the Bible, and, uh, and, and I have a question. Is, is there a... And he was trying to find the words. Now, I knew where he was coming from, because he read these stories. I said, is there a story here? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a story here? I said, absolutely. In fact, I said... You meet the main character in the first sentence. In the beginning, God. There you go. And at the end, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. There is a story here. There's a story a narrative, but there's something being said that has content. But unfortunately, sometimes that content is lost because it's not intentionally, there's not intentional instruction on how this all comes together. And it has to be addressed. In the, 19, in the 1670s, excuse me, in September of 1666, you don't remember 1666, but uh, there was a big fire in London. It's called the Great Fire of London. And the old city of London and much of the city of London, it started in the old city of London that was surrounded by the Roman walls and stuff, but it, it literally burned most of the city of London. It was terrible tragedy. There was a lot of things destroyed. It, it upset the economy. It upset a lot of things. And there were a lot of churches destroyed in London. Well, fast forward about 10 years, or well, not quite 10 years, about the 90, about 1670. If you would have been walking in that area that was being rebuilt, you would have noticed in the afternoon people walking in some direction. And if you'd have been on there, you'd have been, everybody going? And if you followed them, they, they, they go into a, a place, a residence called, I think it's Cosby House, and, and, uh, and people were going in there. And if you would have gone in there, you would have discovered that what was going on was that there was a couple of men, pastors, who decided, after looking at their congregation, they realized, you know what? They don't know what they believe. So they began an intentional program to instruct their congregation on the matters of faith. In fact, one of them wrote a large volume that's called, his name is Stephen Salmont, he says, The Existence and the Attributes of God. That's a very big, turned out to be a couple of big volumes. You see, because what they wanted to do was to ensure that their people understood the content of their faith. It wasn't just an experience, because you guess what? Everybody's got experience. You know, I've been around the world, and, and whether you're a Buddhist or a Mormon, they all have experiences. Mm-hmm. But what is the content? Is it true? I don't want to believe it because I want to believe it because it's the truth. How about you? Yes, absolutely. You see, the antidote is, of course, a sound proclamation of the word, and then the application of the word. It's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. This is a, an essential 
uh, it was essential then and it is essential now. You can go back and we looked at it in Colossians in Ephesians 4, which is very important in who we are as evergreen because it's one of the foundational passages as we looked at the structure of who we are. You see, because there are in the churches pastors and pastors and all this, and one of the, one of the uh, duties of a pastor is to, to, uh, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? So they can be built up to the strength of the body. You want a strong body, but they need to be instructed. And there are those who are to instruct them. The, the point is, there's a necessity of maturing in the faith and enduring nature of that maturity. This occurs when the believers are settled in their beliefs and when they are grounded in the truth as a result of their own personal study. You heard last week in, in uh, uh, Pastor Truthburst, he said that, you know, it, it's a good thing that you are listening to what the pastor says, that you're being instructed from this position. The pastors or the teachers teaching you from the Word of God. That is excellent. But it does not replace your personal journey in the Word. Okay? Don't think that somehow a diet of just, well, I have to understand I mean, you don't eat just once a week, do you? I hope not. I, I, look, I can't see you all, but it doesn't look like it. No. You know, you, you, you are fed daily, and we should be fed. That's why the pastor you here says, you need to spend time in the Word. Personally. You know, it's not, a, it's not enough for, for someone to say, well, our church believes. But what do you believe? Why are you a Christian? It says this in Peter. You need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that lives in you. How can you answer the question, well, why are you a Christian? You need to be able to answer that coherently. Okay. And it has to be with our own personal study and then in the instruction. You'll see in Romans 16, 17, says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who are caused to cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teachings that you've learned and turn away from them. So how would you know if it's contrary? Well, you have been instructed. You've been instructed, and when you hear something, you go, oh, you know, that's just written what the Bible says. Remember, the Bible talks about the Bereans. They heard, they heard the Something being proclaimed, they said, yeah, but what does the Bible say? Let's see what the Bible says. That's, what, that's the main thing. That's the, the, the principal thing that we follow. Second Timothy 3, verses uh, 14 through 15 says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned. Become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. He's telling Timothy, listen, you need to continue in what you've been taught. You remember who taught you. And you're convinced, knowing who taught you. But then he goes on, he says, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation and faith which is in Christ Jesus. And in a little bit we'll look more at some of that content, but that's what he's saying. You need to continue on. I was talking to a gentleman today, and, and he was talking about, you know, just the, the contemporary days. And he says, talking about the difficulties of it. But he says, I discovered that I'm just going to keep my eyes on God. And that's what you do. Like I was saying to somebody else, listen, if you're in a boat and in a storm, what you do is you find something that isn't moving, and that's how you navigate. Well, what isn't moving? God's not moving. You know, a lot of people were, you had all kinds of feelings about this. You know, about midday, I said, so my wife is. The sun came up. God's still alive. You know, nothing of God died today. Okay? So hearing all of this, you can see the importance placed upon understanding what we believe. And then continuing in. First John 2, 24 says this, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Think right now in the hallways out there, children are being instructed. On any given Wednesday, if I'm not here, I'm in there. I've got a group of little boys, and we look at the scriptures one scripture at a time. You know, and they memorize it. But then I say, well, what does that mean? 
Let's look at it. You know, it's not only it's great that you memorize it, but what is it you're saying? You know, if you don't know what you're saying, it's like I remember being in Nicaragua one time, and I was uh, uh, with my translator, and we were going to make a visit, and we're sitting in this uh, fried chicken place. I like fried chicken. I always try to find fried chicken wherever I go. And you can find it. There's always chicken. Chicken people all around the world. Anyway, so I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there with my translator, and there's music playing on. It's American music. And, and she said, do you like this? And I'm going, oh, I've never heard this before, you know. I'm out of that loop, okay? But uh, I said, she said, my wife, this is lovely. I said, really? I said, does your sister speak English? Oh, no. But she just sings it, and she doesn't even know what she's singing. <laughs> I thought, now that is weird. But not so when you think in terms of people's, some of the things that people say they believe, or some of the things people say, and you go, have you heard yourself? Maybe that sounded better in your head than it came out. See, there is, we need to stay with and abide with the truth that we've heard from the beginning. And those, you know, hallways and those sugars, they're, they're laying down a foundation. The same foundation that was laid into my life. And maybe some of you. A foundation that, upon which it grew. I didn't know everything else. You know, five and a half of year, years old when I, I prayed with Steve Christ, I didn't know everything I, I know now. But that was enough. I, I remember having a conversation with my dad one time, and he used to have a lot of, uh, like many men, you know, you have a garage and you got all kinds of stuff. And he had these little, this is when baby food came in these little bottles. I don't know what they're thinking now. I've been out of baby bins a long time. But he had a lot of these, and he had screws and all kinds of things in them. And so he had a lot of kind of containers in his office. And he said, well, son, you may not believe this, but I love God more than you do. And I wasn't going to get into the debate, because I knew he was at point in his life. He was, he, was a, he was a moral man, but he wasn't a spiritual man. So I said, well, Dad, uh, let me ask you something. And I, I looked around, and I got one of those little bottles, and I've got a, a, a coffee cup, and now I've got a large glass. I said, Dad, if I, if I filled each of these containers, if I put liquid to the, in these containers all the way to the top, which is the fluid? He said, well, they're all exactly. I said, now, I may be one of these little ones, but what I've learned is when I get full, God then just pours me down into the bigger one. Okay, now we start with the next step. There is a progression in our maturity. And you ought to be further along in your faith. You ought to know more about the faith than you do, that you did before. So it's essential that we know our faith, and our faith has content, and there are truths that we believe. Then, then it's important that we, uh, if I'm talking about foundations, I want to look at the essentials. I call them the essentials, and I also have listed on the fundamentals. I use the word essentials over fundamentals because, unfortunately, they've become a disparaging connotation that's connected with the word fundamentals. And you've got all kinds of fundamentals, huh? Wallace and all this stuff. And right away, people say, Whoa, you're one of those crazy people. Well, basically, it means there are fundamentals, there are essentials, there's foundational things that are non negotiable upon which you build. Okay? So I'm calling them essentials. These are the building blocks of our faith. They are foundational to who we are as Christians. And, and you need to know these essentials and understand how they work and how they come to bear in your life and your walk with God. See, from ignorance of these and misunderstanding of these essentials, there's so much floundering and even open deception occurs, occurs within the body of Christ and individual people. I, I like this quote. I mean, it's a little long, but I think it's just great. Far too much of what passes for Christian thought today revolves more around man than it does God. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of this sold in Christianity. It's about me, my best life now, or whatever. It's about me. But guess what? The main character of this story is not me. It was started before I got here. It's going to go on if it keeps going on. It's going to have to keep going on after I'm gone. 
But oftentimes, he says this, he said this, and this is the heart of so much wrong-headed so-called Christian thinking. First and foremost, you must understand this. Foremost, you must understand this. The affirmations of the Christian faith all have to do with the being of God. All of, that, all of them have to do with eternal truth. And the being of God, or as God is as God, and these truths, eternal truths, are, they are not available to us in our own unaided comprehension. In other words, they are not in, there's no intellectual root to the knowledge of God. We cannot evidentially simply get to God by thinking it out. God has given us signs and indications of our moral, in our moral being and in the nature of creation, but in all the general revelation, there's only enough to convince us that we need God. There's not enough to convert us. And it's in the special revelation that He gives us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that such conversion takes place. You see, there's a lot of people that talk about God, but they don't know Him. There's, a, there's always been religious people. There's religious people of all shapes and sizes, of all kinds of religions. And they talk about God. Often you could go and ask somebody, well, what do you think about God? And they'll say, well, I think. And they begin to talk. And you know what's really going on? They're talking about themselves. Because it's what they've concocted right here. Instead, well, God says, because you see, this is what this is. God has revealed Himself here. And then finally, and foremost, you find this, for instance, I just said, in Hebrews, the very first chapter, in the very opening words, it says this, God spoke, God, after He spoke long ago in the fathers and in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. The Word became flesh. God visited and revealed Himself. He revealed Himself all through the Scriptures, but then He put on flesh and says, Here am I. I am. Jesus, oftentimes He says in the New Testament, I am. I am. But you cannot just, you know, you just can't get there by intellectual thought. Uh, what is required is God revealing Himself and he, is, he comes to know us and reveal beyond our senses, beyond our intellect, and certainly beyond our uh, ability to uh, to grasp and unite us. And I just read you that. There is the revelation of God that has occurred. That's how we know anything. I mean, if you just met me, and I said, well, what do you think about me? I said, I know you. The only way you're going to know anything about me is know me. Well, you know, God doesn't have an email address. He can't start with that. But He has revealed Himself in Christ. If He hadn't revealed Himself, we wouldn't know anything about Him. It'd be mere speculation. It'd be your opinion against mine. And that happens a lot. You've heard even Michael talk about this. Well, the God I believe in, that's irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant is the God that really is. Because your opinion is, is just that. Now, I've listed on the back of your notes a list of essentials, and these are important. Okay? Now, there is no way that we can hurl the both of these. In fact, um, covering these, you could get a, 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 a degree in divinity. You know, I, I went to seminary, and it was difficult. It's hard, uh, and that's good because they made me work. And uh, I worked in different disciplines, just like you in Michael. Michael's case, in fact, we were similar at the same time. We didn't know each other, but we were. In fact, it's funny because we were actually in the same church and didn't know each other. Uh, what's really funny is that we found out later that my wife, who's always been in preschool, was his oldest daughter's preschool teacher. So, you know, that's fun. How many degrees of separation is that? I don't know. Anyway, there's no way to go through thoroughly all of this, but, but these are important. You, you, that's why I listed them on the back, because you yourself, 
you yourself need to know these. You need to know about these. You need to spend time with these and what they mean. Because each of these, there's all kinds of ideas about what about these. But the answers to these are found right here. That's why you personally have to spend time here. And fortunately, we live in a day and age where there's lots of resources. So I'm going to go through these in a general sense so that we can begin to give you a sense of that these are the essential, the fundamentals, okay? So let's just take a little journey here. The first is the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Godhead. Okay, so this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, if you meet anybody that says, oh, I understand the Trinity, he's either lying or deceived. Okay, because this is, you know, to comprehend God, you can't put your arms around it. But the only reason we know about the Trinity, when we speak in Trinitarian terms, is because this is how God has revealed Himself. It's not just a neat idea, because most of the world will go, wait a minute, one plus one plus one equals one? If you're trying to do math, it doesn't work. But this is not math. But God has revealed Himself. And you find it in the Scriptures. He's revealed Himself in the creation, and, and Christ speaks about Him. And, and often, many times, the Bible reveals Himself, God, as three in one. Okay? So that is an essential. We're not monists. We don't believe in three gods. And there's not a... Well, I, I mean, I, I remember reading that. Uh, in the early church fathers, and, and I, this long volume, and after I read it, I said, well, I, I think I'm maybe uh, divine. God, amazing. But yet I, I mean, God the Father who got over us, I, I encountered God the Son who is Emmanuel, God with us, and, and now the Holy Spirit lives in me, and there's the Holy Spirit who is God so that's important. It's an essential. Another essential is the sovereignty of who God is. He is sovereign over creation. I remember I started raining this afternoon and I asked one of the ladies to refer to as the weather girl. said, is this supposed to rain today? She said, no, the weather man said it wasn't going to rain today. I said, well, I guess there's already only one weather man. There is someone who is sovereign over creation. He made it. And he says he will destroy it and leave it. He buried it in the water one time. In the same way, he's going to burn it up. He is sovereign over creation. He is sovereign over revelation. We'll look at that even when we, when we mention about the Word of God. He, he has sovereignty over this revelation. He has sovereignty over redemption. And final judgment. He alone is the Creator. We can know Him only because He has revealed Himself, and He alone has provided the means of salvation. And He Himself will judge creation. Talking to somebody today, and they're dealing with somebody who, as I said, is, is thinking about going away from the faith. And we and accept that. Said, you know, that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to root for the Green Bay Packers this time, you know, or I'm going to root for the Sooner, I'm going to root for the Cowboys, I'm going to root for the Texas Rock. You know, you can do that. But it is a fatal error to be on the wrong side of God at the end of the story. Because He is sovereign. And He will decide. And He's already laid out the basis of those decisions. And there's reasons for that, and, and we'll even look at some of that. There's the divine inspiration of Scripture. It's infallible in, as, as it was originally given. It is the whole authority and complete, there's complete sufficiency in all matters of faith and conduct. It tells us how we should live. God didn't hide that. You see, with God, there is right and wrong and a difference. And there's truth and not truth. And he has laid it out in Scripture. And you say, well, how does that work? There's a mystery to it. 
how he did that, how he revealed himself in personality. And yet, amazingly, across the many hundreds of years that it was revealed, across all the different authors, there's a coherence to this. It's amazing. I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm a writer. But I have to have readers that, that go at my, and read my stuff afterwards. And one of them, I give them one task. Read it and make sure it's coherent. Make sure I didn't say something in chapter 7 and you go to chapter 20 and go, what? They don't fit. If I have to do that, and I'm the same guy, how in the world do you get all these different men over all this different time, across different languages, and it's coherent? It's because there was someone superintending the sovereign over the Word of God. That's why we can say there is divine inspiration to the Scripture. That's an essential. If you begin to question this, you're in trouble. If God didn't create the world, if it really happened like some people in science tell us, that it's just time plus matter plus chance, then what that says is nothing means nothing and it doesn't matter. I'm just so much DNA. I'm just an accident of the universe. But if it's there was a creator, that means he had purpose. And there's a story here. And he's revealed it all. Okay? Another essential the universal sinfulness and guilt of human nature since the fall. It is, it is, in this, we are rendered subject to God's wrath and condemnation because we are all guilty. Okay? I'm talking about everybody in this building. I'm talking about everybody on this planet. You're guilty. I'm guilty. And it doesn't matter. I mean, even the least. I, I posted something the other day. I saw a, a, a little sign that says, Fastest mammal on the earth. A toddler. When you ask, when you tell them, what's that in your mouth? Why do they already know something's wrong? And an old man, I'm guilty. They already know this. Why? Because they are guilty. Psychiatrists and, and, and mental health people all around the world are dealing with guilt. Trying to help people with guilt. You know why? Because they're guilty. They're all guilty. Okay? There's no use hiding it. God has even revealed that for all his sins, fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. Not one. Okay? It's the truth. Okay? Not, not to bang on anybody. It's the truth. You know it, I know it. It's the truth. Okay? And because of that comes the next one. Redemption from guilt, the guilt, the penalty, and the power of sin only comes through the sacrificial death as our representative and substitutionary death of Christ, the incarnate Son of God. This doctrine of substitutionary, this is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. He died in our place, and we can only uh, make sense of uh, his self-sacrifice life if we understand what he was doing. He was, it is a, the Bible says that this, the real word says this, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to die for sinners. And then Paul says, and I'm number one. You see, you cannot walk away from it. That's why Jesus came. He came to rescue us, to declare who He was, and in doing that, he rescued us. He proved that he is who he said he was. He says he is a merciful God, extending his mercy. And how did he do that? He paid for your sins and for mine. And he did that in Jesus. You can't be good enough. That's why we talk about you can't, get, you can't be just a good person and get there. No, because you're not that good. That's not the truth. That's a lie. Read first chapter of first John. How we deal with sin is important. We're sinners. Confess it. God has forgiveness. You deny it, you're deceiving yourself, and you're calling God a liar. Because he said you're a sinner. Okay? There is redemption 
We are redeemed from the guilt because we're forgiven. We're, we're relieved and redeemed from the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin. And one day, when it's all done, we will be redeemed from the presence of sin. I'm ready for that one. Because I'm still a sinner. And I, I said, I don't want to do that, yeah? But I still do it. And so do you. You still have a problem. But bless God, we have a Redeemer that forgives That has already paid for our sins and provided forgiveness and redemption over the guilt and the penalty and cost that we are forgiven. And then another essential is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is not a, a resurrection in the minds of people. It wasn't that they said, oh, let's make something up. It's not a resurrection in the spirits of the apostles. Okay, let's start something. No, no. Jesus died. And three days later, he was not dead anymore. He arose. Friends, that changes everything. Me, death doesn't have the last word. I have buried friends. I have buried them. But I know I'll see them again. Why? Because Jesus lives, I still live. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, yo, even though he is dead, he will live again. I believe him. That's an essential. If there is no resurrection, read, read Corinthians. If there is no resurrection, then what are we doing? I mean, really? If they were found the body, it would have been all over. If they didn't, because he rose, rose from the grave, and he rose in the cloud. Another essential is the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit to make the death of Jesus effective, uh, effective in, in the individual sinner, granting us uh, then rep- repentance towards God and faith in Christ. Uh, the indwelling, and then there's the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. You see, you wouldn't have come to God if He hadn't been working in your heart. No man seeks after God. The Holy Spirit, one of the, wor- one of the works of the Holy Spirit is He convicts men of sin. He goes inside the chamber that you want to let anybody else in. He says, you know it's true. You're a sinner. And there's a way out. There's a rescuer. And he speaks to us. And he points us to Jesus when we hear the words, the story. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I think of it as a secret weapon. Because you know, you talk to people. I think, oh, I don't know, you know, but then I kind of grin because I go, there's somebody can get behind that wall. Yeah. And they think that, you know, because they, they put up the argument, they've done that thing, and they've buffered the, the truth. Because if God is chasing you, you can't hide. He'll talk to you. I remember one time talking to my brother, one of my brothers had many. And he'd been kind of walking away from God for a while, playing around the edges, you know. I'd been away in the army, came back home, and the Lord just convicted me. So I went out to the garage where he was sitting, standing, and said, Hey, I have a message for you. Yes? Yeah. yeah, God just let me know he wanted me to tell you something. What? It's right there. Something isn't work. The Holy Spirit was prompting me to talk to him. And then talking to him and here. Boom. It's God's Spirit. The Spirit of God. It is not just a fancy. He's real. God the Father is real. The Son is real, and God the Holy Spirit is real. Depend on Him. And then the, there's the essential of the, the one holy universal church, which is the body of Christ, which all believers belong. True believers belong. You know, I, I mentioned to you, I've, I've been in all kinds of places around the world, and it's amazing. It's amazing. The church is huge. 
fact, the Bible talks about it. I love it in Revelation. So in heaven, there's a throne, and around the throne, there's a, a huge multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's the body across history and across the globe. There are those who can say, Jesus is the Lord. Uh, someone was kind of bothered by the current event. You know, what it happens? What if this happens? And what if that happens? I said, listen, listen, listen. Let me just tell you something. I've been with believers, and they live in dangerous places. The one thing I've seen, no matter where they are, regardless of what's going on in governments and tactics that are used, the church survives. This is his body, and he protects it, and he will protect it. Okay? There is a church. And then, of course, another example is, is the expectation of the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ in Congo. He's coming back. You know? I, I, I may live to see it. If I don't see it, I'm going to be on the cloud coming back. Because he is coming back. Why do I say that? He said he was. Everything he did the first time, it happened just like he said it. And he's coming back. He says, I'm coming back. In fact, he's thinking, I, I remember this is when newspapers were really relevant. <laughs> um, you know, when people actually read them, you know, there was, there was a, I remember a teacher of mine telling them, they, they showed us the paper and they had the headlines, you know, and, and one of them was showed it up and it was, you know, B.E. Day. You know, big letters, talking the whole page is just that. He said, that typeface is called Second Coming Type. Well, because this is a story you don't want to miss. It's happening. And all the world was seeing. It's important that we understand the ascension, that we believe in it and know how important they are to believe in. They are not tangential to the Christian walk. And why? They are foundation. These things that I listed are not just, oh, well, I'm No, no, no. Well, maybe Jesus was. No, you can't go there. He either was who he said he was. Either these essentials are true or they're not true. Okay? And outside of them, we people become subject in the introduction of false teaching on the consequences of false teaching. Listen, you've heard me say this before. Ideas have consequences. They go somewhere. They have a vector. And, you know, there's no predicting how, where a bad idea will take you. I mean, just look around. There are a lot of bad ideas and people are crashing and burning. Okay? You remember Jesus said it very clearly. At the end of the sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, listen, the man, the person who hears my words and doesn't is like a man who built what? His house on what? A rock. Boom, the storm comes and it stands because the rock is built on the rock. Mm. Now, the man who builds his house, who hears these words of mine, doesn't do them, he's like a man who builds his house on what? The sand. And the same storm comes against him and the house calls because it was built on the sand, and great is its fault in the sun. That's a good story. You don't want to have that story. You want it to survive. You want your children and your grandchildren to have a life that stands the storm. Well, then build it on the rock. Truth is dying or is dead among so many, and these are dangerous times. 1 Timothy 1 3 says this, As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies or get, that get, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Pay attention. Again, later on in, in verse, chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says in the latter days, some will fall away from the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits spirit and doctrines of devils. Later on, chapter 6, he says this, 
Timothy, be on guard. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments which are falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Bad ideas have bad consequences. Good ideas, truth, can be built on. But realize this in 2 Timothy 2.1. But realize this in the last days, difficult times will come. He then describes the consequences of the death or the loss of truth for God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 2-8, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient, uh, to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and capture weakly weak women weighed down with their sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, yet never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Not just being smart, being wise. Not just having information, but having truth. Then Paul tells the antidote to that in verses 15 and 15, You, however, continuing in the things which you have learned, and be convinced of, knowing to whom you've learned them. You've looked at that passage before. That's where you go. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of opinions. Well, I'm just going to go with somebody else. You know, you always quote, you know, when you find somebody and you, you say, well, I could, you know, Aristotle says, and they quote all these great names. Well, listen, you have the opportunity to quote the most brilliant mind in all the universe. Right here. So learn it. You have to know that, that uh, what you don't know to become a Christian. Because if you don't know everything you need to know, and you can, you cannot adequately uh, fulfill. You know, when you begin, you don't have to know all these essentials to start. Okay? I mean, well, I didn't know all these things. I mean, how much can a five and a half year old? But you will not grow in the faith and be protected. Unless you know these essentials. So apply yourself to knowing them. Applying these truths in your life. Important needs, a good point to make that I want to make now is that, is that uh, intellect is not the key to learning doctrine. Oh, I'm not that, I'm not a child. Well, listen, you know what's the key to understanding the truth of God? Not just obedience. It's knowing what God says. Remember what Jesus said? He who hears these words of mine and what? That's the key. The way around it. You want to go in the faith? Find out what God says. And obey Him. If you love me, keep my commandments. You can have a stack of all kinds of degrees and absolutely lost for the Christian life. Because it's not in knowing, it's in obeying that you come to know. In the same way, you can be a simple farmer in the middle of nowhere and have a solid grasp of the truth of God and the person of God. Because you've walked with Him, you've obeyed Him. This is because it's not it's about intellectual capacity. It's about morality. It's about the moral response and obedience to the truth of God. Looking and learning the core of the essentials has no meaning if it's not accompanied by the work of God which transforms your life. See, you can even study all these things that are testing. But outside of a, a personal encounter with the living God, Believing Him, which we can find out. When I was in seminary, uh, I took uh, Greek for a couple of years, four semesters. Had a very difficult professor, but I learned a lot. In the last semester I was there, taking this, 
I had a part of my compass here at the end of the course. I had to, uh, you had to select a, a section of scripture and uh, translate it and do the whole book. And I chose John 9. It's the story of the, the blind man. Nine born blind. To Jesus here. There's about a 40 page paper on it. I'm more familiar with it. <laughs> but I loved it. I, I did it because I loved it. It's a, it's a great story. Uh, it shows so much. You know, there's this man who's born blind. I mean, he's, he's there at the temple, and, and of course, the disciples have a debate about him. And they say, Well, who's sin? And he says, No, it's so that I can be. I can show who I am. So he gets somebody and rubs their arm and sends them off. And all of a sudden, people see. Of course, this causes an uproar. I mean, you know, it's not every day that suddenly somebody who's blind, born blind, can all of a sudden see. I don't know. I haven't been around any of that. Pretty extraordinary. So the debate happens among the religious people. And they bring him in and they question him. About who? Who gave you sight? Are you really the same guy? And he's going, well, yeah. So they bring his parents in, and they ask him, well, what about it? Was he really blind? He was going there. Let him speak for himself. So they bring him in again. <laughs> what about this guy? He says, well, do well, you want to believe in him? Who? And he's just excited about me, you know. I was blind ten minutes ago. Well, what about this man? Is he a sinner or not? He said, look, look. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. He must be a man from God or no one can do these kind of things. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I only know this. I was blind. Okay? You get that? I was blind. Now I can see. They got some magic kicked him out of the temple. They weren't getting anywhere with this one. So Jesus hears about it. You find this, you can hear the end of the second line. Oh, I love this encounter. Jesus finds him. This is beginning in verse 35. Jesus says they put him out. You find him. He asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? I can just imagine this. They bring him, find him. He's standing right in front of him. And Jesus just asked him, He's never seen him. This black man has never seen him before because he was what? Blind. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he after that to believe in him? You're looking at him. He's going to be talking to him. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. The word is prestineo. It means he just really touched it. He fell down and he worshipped him. He encountered the true and the living God in flesh who, who made him new. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? And he was told. He didn't know all the essentials, okay? He only knows this. I was blind. And I can see. It must be a man from God. And he understood what the Son of Man meant to be obviously a son. You see, you're, you're going to have to have a, a personal encounter with Jesus for any of this to make sense. Because Jesus goes on. Because he's talking to this man, and I, the, the religious guys have followed him. They want to find out what's going on, too. And I can just imagine Jesus looking down at this man, and he looks up. For the Son of Man came to the world for this reason, to give sight to the blind, and take away sight from those who see. He saved us. What are you telling us that we're blind? If you were, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say you're blind, if you because you say you're sufficient in yourself, your sin remains. There's only one place the sin is dealt with. It's with Jesus. He was who He said He was. He revealed Himself. God came and visited and revealed Himself after speaking before. And this is non-negotiable. He was who He said He was. He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't a good moral teacher. He was God in the flesh. 
who died for our sins and one day will come again. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Knowing, counting, growing Him, and you do this while still spending time in His Word, and then in obedience, doing what He says, you will know Him. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that uh, you have rescued us. Without you, we are lost. And yet, Lord, with you, we were dead, and now we're alive. And we shall see you one day and live forever with you. To you be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.